You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Dave Ammons. Merry Christmas, Cathedral. Can you believe it? Another Christmas has rolled around. It's another December, and it's the beginning of another Christmas season. I don't know about you, but Macy and I were talking the other day, and it kind of feels like we're just trying to soak up every single moment that this Christmas season can offer. Now, yes, we're in the thrones of of raising children. we got four young boys, and yeah, time flies. But I wonder if you're like us, who's just trying to figure out, does it feel like Christmas, maybe it's the fact that it's not 80 degrees anymore? Maybe it feels a little bit more like Christmas this season, but we're here at the beginning of celebrating the Christmas season. Now, yes, Christmas season every year is a reminder, and it's really a chance for us to celebrate the fact that Jesus came into this world over 2,000 years ago. I mean, sure, Christmas Day represents the celebration of Jesus being born But this entire season celebrates the fact of why Jesus came onto this earth. I mean, God, the the creator of the galaxies, the, the, the creator of the world that we live in, in all of the beauty that it brings. He's the creator of human life, the creator of love, of grace. You know, I love this, say, this saying, I don't know if you've heard it, but I found it interesting, and here's what it says, is that the coldest time of the year brings with it some of our warmest celebrations. Another way to say that same thing is that the darkest part of our year comes with some of the brightest moments of life, of love, of, of family, That shouldn't really surprise us, right? Because this is exactly why Jesus came into this world. He injected life into our struggles. Literally, he injected light into the darkest parts of who we are. Now, here's the interesting part in the thinking and what's going to form really the entirety of this service. But when we think about Christmas, we don't often think about courage, But today what I want to do is I want to show you that whenever God wants to do something in us or through us or with us or for us, however you want to say it, what comes along with that calling is that he calls us to be courageous. You see, when you look through the the scriptures and you look at all of the figures that you can find, name them, David, Gideon, Ruth, Mary, Esther, Joseph, the disciples, I don't care who it is, they all required courage in order to accomplish the will of God in the purposes that God had on their life. In fact, let me give you a picture of this because Joshua records an example of the exact thing that I'm trying to talk to you about. Because if Joshua was going to be used by God or directed by God, it would require a certain kind of bold response. Joshua would have to have courage. This comes out of Joshua chapter 1, and this will set the stage for us here this morning. It starts off and says, be strong and... Be strong and... 
There we go. Y'all are here. All right, just make sure. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to the ancestors to give to them. Being a leader, more specifically, this verse is talking about leading people. It requires something. It's going to require courage. Go on to the next verse, and it says something similar, but with even a little bit more strength. It says, be strong and very Let's see why. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. A second time, we see this instruction of courage. Although this one is a little bit different from verse 6, the first one, because this time it's talking about something different. It's talking about obeying God in our lives. And when we do that, it requires courage. But even more so than that, because it doesn't say just a little bit of courage. It says that it's going to take even more. You're going to have to be very courageous. You skip over to verse 9, and it gives us one more little hint. It says, have I not commanded you? One more just little reminder. Be strong and don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You see, the Bible communicates all kinds of amazing things for us to have a better life. And I think that's why I love the Bible so much, because no matter what you're going through in your life, the Bible is the answer. The Bible will always have the clarity that we need, the answers that we need in life. This Christmas, I believe that Scripture is trying to communicate something to every single one of us that is extremely important. And that's this, is that if we're going to go after the plans and the purposes of our life, that is, if we're going to go to new places, if we're going to go into higher levels or different seasons that we've never been able to go to before, it's going to require something. Come on, church, tell me what it's going to require. It's going to require what? All right, y'all on board. You got this. This morning, I want to talk to you about something that I believe is crucial in order for us to take Christmas. Now, if you joined us last week, Meg began this journey of what it means to take Christmas. But see, I don't think what we're talking about this morning stops at just the month of December. Because the more that I've prayed about this particular message in this season for every single one of you guys, is I feel like God is trying to communicate something in the, in the terms of that he's trying to prepare us for this upcoming year. And I firmly believe that it's going to start this morning for some of you guys. I want to talk about this morning about how are we going to have courage this Christmas? If you're wondering, Dave, what, what is, how does this tie to Christmas? I pro- I'm headed there right now, but I promise you it has absolutely everything to do with courage. You see, as I read the Christmas story this past year, this theme of courage really just kind of kept coming up. And I love how God works. How many of you guys have ever had a time period in your life where you just needed a little bit of encouragement? Okay? All right, there's like six of us. Everybody else is feeling good in that department? Right? Anybody else feel like you've gone through a season of life where you just need some encouragement, right? Okay, I found myself in a time period that I just needed God to pull up alongside of me and just pat me on the back. Just encourage me. And, and honestly, to remind me of the calling that he put in my life. And in this moment, he gives me this idea. This, this idea 
to read through the Christmas story. And what I found is I found that it took a massive amount of courage for Mary to believe what the angel told her. And not only that, but the ability to walk out what would end up becoming the greatest story ever told in human history. And not only to walk it out and commit to doing it, but as you read the story, what you're also going to see is you see how she celebrates the goodness of God through this entire crazy-filled situation that she's living out in her life. It also took a great deal of courage for Joseph, who checked this out. All he had was a dream. I mean, you see, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary in person. An unbelievable encounter. I mean, can you imagine talking to an angel right in front of your face? Joseph had a dream. But in that moment, he had a decision to make. How was he going to respond? Courage was going to be required if he had any hopes of walking out this potential destiny for his life. And what I think is I think that we can learn from his life in the decisions that he made in this season. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through a short portion of the Christmas story. And I believe this morning it will encourage you. Depending on where you are in life, I believe that this story will give you and bring you some hope. For some of you this morning, it quite possibly will give you some direction that you need in life. Let me say it this way. Joseph's life, I believe, will show us the kind of courage that you and I need to have if we're going to walk with the Lord and experience all of his work, his purposes, his goodness that he has in our life. So let's go ahead and dive on in. We're going to pick this up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. You can follow along, and this is the point for every one of my amazing uh, note takers. Go ahead and get ready. I got some stuff for you. Because what I want to do is I want to showcase, and I'm sure there's more. Thank you, Ames. I'm sure there's more, but what I want to do is I want to showcase four different things that I see kind of pop out throughout this story. We're going to start off with this point right here. One of the first things that we do is we see that Joseph had to have courage to live in a very harsh world. We live in a harsh world, don't we? It's the nature of being in a fallen world. The trouble becomes when the harsh world ends up dictating your world. And here's what we're going to see. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it starts off by saying this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Birth in this first verse more accurately can be translated as Genesis or, or, or genealogy. And what you're going to see is this is the start of Jesus, not in total, but here on earth. And, and in fact, when you read the four Gospels, with the exception of Mark, every one of the Gospels are going to start off by giving us the genealogy of where Jesus came from. The reason Mark doesn't do it is because he was talking out about the, the servanthood nature of who Jesus was, and servants weren't afforded the genealogy tree that everybody else was, and so Mark forwent that in his. But in the other three that you're going to see that. It continues on and says this, that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Well, let's make sure that we're all on the same page of what it meant to be betrothed. Marriages at this point in society were arranged by parents. Now, now that I have four kids, it doesn't really honestly sound like a bad idea. You know, I think I can kind of get down with where this is headed. 
Okay, but the parents, what they would do is they would arrange the marriage, and quite often this would happen very early on in life. Once this, once this, this legal arrangement, this, this betrothal happened, the two would be bound together, and the only way out at this point would have been a legal divorce. Okay, so I want you to get this picture. A betrothal was stronger than what we know of as an engagement. Okay? but it came with none of the perks of marriage if you catch my drift, okay? Oftentimes what happened is that the two getting married, they actually wouldn't have much interaction. They would hardly have any social interaction. Certainly they wouldn't have any kind of intimate interaction, okay? So the parents, what they would do is they would come together, announcements would be made to the entire community. This betrothal process, believe it or not, would almost last sometimes up to a year, a year. And part of the reason would be is that a girl, the girl's family would pay a dowry to the boy's family. Again, having four boys, I really like where Scripture's going on this whole thing. <laughs> I, I like the direction. Luke, not so much. He's not going to like this part of the process. But I like where this is going, right? But they would pay either the boy or the boy's family. And typically the reason they would do this, this would go towards building a home for the couple or building a room onto an existing family home. All of this would happen at a pretty early age. It's pretty crazy, but from a female's perspective, Mary's perspective, this would have happened around the ages of 12 to 14. 12 to 14. Even back then, they knew that boys needed a little bit more time. It would happen between the ages of 18 to 20 for them, right? Okay, so this is the setup Right? This is a setup that's taking place when it just simply says that Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Verse 18 finishes by saying, but before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Before they had any kind of conversations, before they really even knew each other at all, before they were married, before they had any kind of sexual relationship whatsoever. I mean, can you imagine this? Imagine from Joseph perspective. You just got betrothed. I mean, you don't even know this girl. I mean, you know about the family, right? I mean, she comes highly recommended, right? That's about it, right? And one of your first interactions, bless Mary's heart, she comes up to Joseph and has to say, hey, listen, I got some good news and I got some bad news. The good news is an angel came to talk to me. Gabriel, I mean, can you believe this? Gabriel came and told me that I'm going to be the mother to the Messiah. What? I mean, everybody in ancient Israel would have known this was a, such a big deal. They would have known about this prophecy. They would have known, especially females, any girl growing up in ancient Israel at this time period would have only hoped or dreamed bad news. What are you talking about? This is unreal. Yeah, about that bad news. Uh, whew, so, I'm pregnant. But, but I promise I haven't been with anybody. I, I, I have not had any sexual relations with anybody. I promise, okay? Joseph now immediately faces some massive, massive decisions. And his choice really is not the choice between giving Mary a second chance or quietly divorcing her. You see, in Jewish society at this time, it would have been a demanded, even, even go as far as expected of him to divorce her, since obviously she had been adulterous. 
And it wouldn't even be outlandish to say that you should drag her out into the streets and stone her to death for her actions. This is what was taking place during this time period. If Joseph does not divorce her, these, these personal ramifications, I'm sure, started running through his head. Things like, oh my goodness, this is going to disgrace my name. This is going to disgrace my family. I mean, as a couple, they would be shunned or looked down upon. I mean, for the rest of their lives, they would be that couple. Viewed with so much judgment, Joseph would be viewed and deemed as a weak man. A man who couldn't defend his honor, let alone defend the honor of his family. And so the choice that Joseph has is not of one divorce or no divorce, but one of how much of a public spectacle do I make of her? Do I expose her now and just go and expose her to the shame that she's going to experience regardless? At some point, it's going to show. Or do I do this as quietly as possible, knowing that the news of this is eventually going to get out? Verse 19 tells us of his decision, and here's where we pick it up. It says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man. Here's here's your first hint of how he's going to handle this, because From a biblical standpoint, a just man, the way that the Bible describes it is that you would be a righteous man, a godly man. Proverbs 20 actually describes a just man as a man of great character. Here's where you would have found Joseph. Joseph would have been found daily at the synagogue, going to the church every single day, searching after the things of God, chasing after the things of God, so that way he could represent the character of who God was. He would have been the kind of person that the entire community would have looked up to. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, here's his decision. He resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, it's not that she's going to escape the shame, but if I can just, if I can just delay it, at least for just a little, I'll resolve to divorce her quietly. Quietly, almost in hopes to preserve his honor. At the same time, if I can just not put the spotlight on her. He's in a really difficult spot. So many of these things are just racing through his head. These are the things that he's thinking about. Verse 20 gives us that part of the story, and it simply just tells us, but as he considered these things, and I'm weighing in here, but these are the options that I think could possibly come happen. I mean, he's a respected person in the community. I mean, his financial future would have been at risk. His reputation was was at stake. His standing in the church would have been at stake. His family relationships, I mean, what would come of it? I mean, what she did was wrong in the eyes of society. You see, you also got to understand he's a person who understands the Bible. He understood the law of the Old Testament and would have known what Deuteronomy chapter 22 says about sex before marriage. He's considering all these things of what society was going to bring on to them as a couple. What he decided to do is he decided to divorce her, but to do it as quietly as possible so he could preserve as much dignity for Mary. But as he considered these things, behold, a shift begins to happen. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, this isn't the same as Mary's encounter. Mary has an angel of the Lord that comes to her in person, fully awake. Okay, Joseph has an encounter, but it's different. For starters, it's a dream. And secondly, 
Mary and Gabriel, they have a conversation. It's a two-way street, right? Joseph had a dream, and the angel wasn't conversating. He was given some directives, right? This wasn't a two-way street. Here's what the angel said to Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, one of the commentaries that I read at this particular part, specifically about this part of the scripture, I found interesting. And here's the observation that they made. Here's what it said. Joseph's problem wasn't that he was trying to do the right thing, but his problem was that he was letting fear control him. Whoa, well, those are two vastly different things. On the one hand, I'm just trying to figure out how to do the right thing. On the other hand, you have this concept of fear was controlling him. This, this, this fear of, of what society do, would do, this, this fear of living in an in, in unrelenting, ungrace-filled world. But isn't that what fear does to us so often? Because fear can make us rationalize any kind of situation. You might say, well, I, I got pretty good reason to be concerned. You start pointing out all different kinds of things, things, things that can justify all of the reasons of why you're anxious about it. But if you and I are not careful, what will happen is we'll begin to legitimize this fear, especially as it pertains to the things that God places in our life. Because the enemy doesn't want any kind of dream or purpose that God has for our life to come alive. And so this fear will begin to rationalize and say, oh, surely that can't be me. Surely that can't happen in your life. But fear can control you and walk you right out of the God-sized plan that he has for your life. You see, as I read scripture, as I, as I read this Christmas story, this is exactly what it looked like the angel was trying to do with Joseph. Fear was controlling him, and rightfully so. I mean, what if I make the wrong decision? I mean, what will people think? This whole fear of what if was dominating his thinking. And the angel in this dream is trying to get through to him. Joseph cannot be afraid of what the world is going to think if he's going to follow God's plan for his life. And the same thing is true for us. We got to say, listen, man, I'm not going to let fear dominate me. F fear is not going to be my counselor. Fear is not going to be the thing that, that, that gives us the ability to make decisions. It will not be the decision maker. Joseph knows that Mary's life in society is ruined. And for the rest of her life, she will be haunted and judged by this pregnancy from a societal standpoint. And it won't stop there because they'll even say to Jesus as he grows up to be a man, they'll say things like, I know who my father is. Who's yours? She never got away from it. He never got away from it. And Joseph knows that this is going to be a part of their future. But here's the thing. I mean, think about what's happening here. I mean, this is the honor of a lifetime. Your adopted son is going to be the son of the entire universe. But if you give in to fear, that's gone. You see, we can forfeit what God wants to do in our life. We can forfeit the opportunity, the favor, the blessing, if we get caught up in a world and what the world thinks about us. Now, what I want you to do is I don't want you to misunderstand me because what I'm not talking about is this I don't care kind of an attitude that ends up coming across as so brash and so repulsive. Oh, I'm just going to make my own path in this life. What I'm talking about is when God speaks to your heart. You know what I'm talking about. 
That, 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 that time period where he drops that dream on the inside of you. You know, oftentimes when that happens, the world's not going to understand that. Th those two worlds don't line up. What's not going to happen is they're not going to understand your values. They're not going to understand your decisions. The world is not going to understand why you make church so important and why you come so often. They're certainly not going to understand why you give like you do or why you serve like you do. And 100%, I can tell you, that they're not going to understand the priorities in your life, why they are what they are. But I need you to listen to me because if you're going to know God's plan and experience God's blessing, you and I are going to have to have the courage to accept the hostile nature of this world. Because like I said, those two things are never going to collide. At least you hope they don't. There's always going to be this clash. Joseph is faced with a choice. And what he decides is this. I'm going to have to have the courage, and I'm not going to let the world's opinion dictate or direct what I do. You see, I pray that we say, or even, let's go beyond that, that we actually believe it on the inside. That we say things like, I I'm walking with God, and yes, you world, the world may not understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, but as long as I serve him faithfully, God is faithful, and he will favor my life. Amen? All right, let's keep on moving because the verse ends with this. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Whew, man. From Joseph's perspective, I'm sure he was like, oh, my goodness, I'm so, so glad you said that. That really clears everything up. I mean, if you could have just led with the Holy Spirit thing, I'd have, this whole thing would have been fine, right? But that really leads us into this next point of what I see Joseph really doing here. Because Joseph had to have the courage to accept the adventure of God's will in his life. All those things are racing through, all the concerns, what people will think, what's my future going to be, what's my business going to be like, how's my family going to react? I mean, these are legitimate concerns. Because like I said earlier, these things, that they, they were going to get thrown back at Jesus. Society was going to throw at Jesus, and John chapter 8 is the reference for this. But it tells us, and they're, they're, the reason they were doing this was an effort to delegitimize who he was. But they asked the question, well, who's your father? I mean, Joseph's concern is very real. And I don't want to downplay that. Sometimes our concerns are very real, but we can't listen and give in to the fears of what we have. We have to be willing to step into the reality of what God has for us, what God is speaking into our lives, and then trust him. Joseph, honestly, at this point, has every reason not to do that. Joseph received a dream not an in-person encounter like Mary. I mean, how many of you guys have ever had a dream based off of some kind of conversation or maybe some intense situation or perhaps what you ate last night? I'm not exactly sure, but you'll dream about something, right? Yeah. It's like those situations just kind of wiggle into your dreams sometimes. And, and they can, you can do that and so easily dismiss what the dream is about because of that. 
I mean, don't you know that Joseph probably had that kind of thought going into this situation? I mean, I'm only having this dream because me and Mary are just literally constantly talking about this thing. I'm considering these things all the time. Uh, surely, is this, I've been thinking about it. Is this that or is this really the Lord? I mean, it's not like I saw an angel, had a dream. But you see, sometimes we want God speaking to us so definitively to us before we ever make a move. Let me caution you on that kind of thinking, because if we put God in that kind of box, we're going to miss so many God-appointed opportunities and forfeit the favor and the opportunity, the blessing that he wants to have on us if we would just meditate the journey and stepped out in faith. It takes courageous faith to step into the adventure of God's will for your life. Let me ask it to you this way. Are you the type that when you have something come into your life, are you waiting to move on what, what God spoke to you until you completely understand everything about that situation? Like you have to know 100% without a shadow of a doubt of how it's going to turn out. If this is how it is, in order for you to step out in faith, can I just tell you, you're probably going to be waiting forever. I mean, sure, there are some times in my life where I knew, like I knew without a shadow of a doubt. But can I just tell you, those are the exception, not the rule. I mean, the majority of the time in my life, it's been this prompting. It's, it's, this, it's this sense. It's this nudge. But let me also say this about this. This is the value of spending time in the presence of God. Praying, reading, worshiping. Why? Because the more that we do these kind of things, the more sensitive you and I come to the stirrings of God in our life, to the promptings of God in our life. But all of this is dependent upon our ability to have courage to take a step of faith. And for some of you this morning, this is a Joseph moment for you. Because as I'm talking, what I'm sure is happening in your head, you're filling in the blanks. You're going back in this time period where you know God was speaking something to you. You remember back in the last 21 days of prayer and fasting when, when, when you were drawing close to God and God gave that promise of he was going to draw close to you, right? And what he did was he delivered this dream and this purpose in your life. Can, can I give you a hint? That's the Holy Spirit tapping you saying, hey, do, do you remember the prompting that I gave you? Do you, do you remember in January, oh man, it was so alive in your life. You knew exactly what you were marching after every single day. It's a Joseph moment. But in order for us to receive it, we're going to have to have the courage to accept the adventure part of God's will in our life. It's his will. It's not ours. Number three. Third thing that we see Joseph have is we see Joseph have the courage to accept the authority of God's word because it's not just about understanding his will it's basing it off of the word of God Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says this she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins let me ask you have you ever thought about this as it pertains to the Christmas story I mean the angel is telling Joseph and Mary, hey, you're going to have a son, and oh, by the way, I've already picked out his name. Like, I don't know about you, but picking a name, that was a big deal in the Ammon's household. Like, we had, we, when, when we picked some names, everybody in the family had to pick their favorite. Then we took those over here, we added a whole other list of names to see if they would make it through the gauntlet, right? I mean, picking a name was a very big deal. 
How many of you guys have ever heard of, of somebody's name, like you got introduced to somebody and you said, oh, bless their heart. <laughs> oh, boy. Man, what were their parents thinking? Like, why in, the, why in the world would you get? I mean, they had to be called that the rest of their life. Like, why would a parent do that, right? Well, the reason is because they're mom and dad. That's their right. You see, when you have the authority, you get to assign. You get to pick the name. Joseph, he doesn't get to pick the name. He doesn't get to pick the name of his firstborn son. Now, this would have been a very, very big deal back in, their, back in their day. Names had significant meaning back in that day. It would have identified them. It would have, it would have told you who they were and what they were going to do. But the angel of the Lord comes and says, and you shall call him Jesus. This, this would have added a whole other layer of difficulty to an already difficult situation. The reason being is because back in this day, not only would you have picked the name, but it would have typically been based off of your family tree. And in this case, maybe you would have picked something like his father, Jacob, or maybe after his grandfather, Eleazar. But the angel is very clearly communicating, listen, it's not up to you. I wonder why. Why does he tell us this? You see, the significance of this for Mary and Joseph, and, and it extends to every single one of us, is this. The angel is telling us this child, Jesus, is not going to be under your control. You're going to be under his control. You and I, our authority won't identify him. Rather, his identity, his authority will identify us. Which is a really interesting thought, especially in our day and age, because people are really into defining who God is, who they think God is. God is this, God is that, but they're confused. They actually have the whole thing completely backwards. You see, people in society, especially in our day right now, they will deceive themselves into thinking that they're the authority and that they get to define who God is. And quite interestingly enough, it's usually based off of a narrative that benefits their situation. But we need to understand, we don't name God. He names us. Another fun sidebar note. Do you know that in Revelation, it actually tells us that when we get to heaven, we'll get a, a second name? Oh, what's it going to be? I don't know. We'll have to find out when we get there. <laughs> we don't decide his identity. He decides ours. He doesn't bend to our thoughts. We bow to his will. What am I trying to say? All of this points to the fact that it takes courage to truly accept the authority of God in his word. Here's, here's Joseph, and now all of a sudden, he, he's got a wife carrying a son that's not his. A son that he can't even name. And he's going to have to explain to people this name, Jesus, because no one in the family tree carries that name. I mean, you got to think at some point, Joseph could have been like, man, I just, this is too much. Like, I've done a lot of things that you're asking, but at this point, I'm kind of just done, man. Like, I'm just not going to go along with this one. I'm, I'm going to change his name. Like, what does it really even matter? And some people, they try to do the same thing with the word of God. I'm just going to change it a little bit. But at any point that you do that, you miss out on God's plan. God's word is his word, and it takes courage to say, listen, I accept it. Even the parts that I don't like because it doesn't fit my narrative. 
but I accept it and I will build my life on his word. Let me show you how Joseph did this because he does this a couple times. Verse 24 and 25, it says, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. God says it, he does it. And you see, this will become a pattern for Joseph's life that is absolutely critical. Take a look at this theme of how Joseph even responds in the next chapter. Jesus is already born, and it says this. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 13. It says, now when they had departed, they is the magi, the wise men. Jesus is already born. They're, they're taken off. It says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, Take your child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. God says it and he does it. Now I want you to think about that. Joseph doesn't speak Egyptian. He don't know anybody in Egypt. I mean, he has every reason to say, oh, hold on, brother. This is too much. I mean, this, this, it's a dream. Like, how do I even know this is real? If he waits, he's a dead man. But that's not his choice. Because in the middle of the night, he's gone. Cathedral, can I tell you, this is what it looks like to listen to God. When, when he speaks, you move. When he speaks in my life, I move. When he speaks to us as a church, we move. When he prompts you, you move. You take that step. And we see this again and again once more in chapter 2. It says, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appears you know where in a dream to Joseph. I mean, at what point does the man just get scared to even fall asleep? It's like every time I fall asleep, something else is happening. But they're in Egypt, and he says, rise, take this child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Now, this one I'm sure he doesn't mind too much because don't you know that he's ready to get back to familiar? He's ready to go back to what he knows, go back towards home. But before he gets there, before he gets all the way, we read in the very next verse, here's what it says. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in a place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. And what we see here is we see these steps that are being ordered by God himself in his life. He goes and he takes his family to live in Nazareth, which, by the way, would have been the last place that you're going to want to live. Why? First off, this is where Mary's from. Everybody knows what went down. I mean, quite literally, he's being told to take his family and to run towards the place that represents her past, represents all the judgment that society would have been throwing at her, all the gossip that was happening. But God says, this is where I need you. Why? Because there's a scripture that says, and he will be called a Nazarene. It takes courage. It takes courage to accept the harsh nature of this world. It takes courage to accept the adventure that God has for you and I. It takes courage to accept that authority of God's word and to say, yes, 
I am going to step into his will for my life. It takes courage. But when you and I do this, man, you are blessed. Last one I have for you, which is the last two verses of this chapter, which is this, is we've got to have the courage to accept that God wants to be with you. Verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. This is Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A prophecy comes to the nation of Judah in a very dark time. You have this evil Evil king, wicked. I mean, if you think that what's going on in the news with Balenciaga is sick, pales in comparison to what this king, this king is publicly sacrificing and burning children in a fire. I mean, he's not looking to God. He's so torn away from God, could care less about God. The prophet Isaiah comes in and he says, I need you to listen to me. God wants to help you. God wants to be with you. You're in massive trouble. At this time, this king, this land, had just been invaded. Over 100,000 of his people had just been slaughtered. Over 200,000 of his people had been held captive. But it's far from over because there's a second invasion on the way. It is bad. Isaiah comes in this moment and tells him, God wants to help you. God wants to be with you and to prove it. He gives them this prophecy that comes out of Isaiah chapter 7. And says, a virgin will, be, will give birth to a son and his name will be called Emmanuel. And the king shockingly responds with this. I don't believe it. I don't believe that God would want anything to do with me. Now, some of you might be here today, and in some respects, this is exactly how you're interacting in your relationship with God. Surely God wants nothing to do with me. Can I just tell you whether this kind of response is unintentional? Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you feel like your past is too rough. Maybe, maybe you feel like you just didn't know any better and you're just kind of charging through life, doing the best you can, but you're making all the decisions on your own, keeping him completely out. The lie that God doesn't want anything to do with you, it's just not true. And it's going to take courage from you to look past your own failings, real or perceived, to say and to stand firm on this belief that God is bigger than you and I. God... His, his ways aren't our ways. There's a God who loves you and I more than we'll ever be able to comprehend or ever be able to make sense of. He wants to be near you, and it's going to take courage to accept and believe that he is going to help you. It takes courage. God's coming this Christmas. He's drawing near and he's saying, listen, I came into this world so I can be close to people. That's why I'm here. I came to help you. I came to rescue you. I came to be Emmanuel, 
to be with you. That's the message of Christmas. The, the God of this universe is invading a broken humanity to get close to us, to help us, to do for us what we can never do for our own selves. Here's how I want to end this message is just give a space for God to do what God does, not what someone on a platform does, not what you hear, but the presence of God. And so what I want to do is I want to revisit how we started this entire message because the Christmas story was never meant to just be observed. Rather, God's desire and the reason he came was for us to participate in the story with him. God, we need you. Over this next element, God, would you come and do what your word says? Emmanuel. Would you come be with us? And would you let every single one of us this morning have our own Joseph moment? Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name. Come on, let's just give God one more clap of praise. Lord, we just worship you. Lord, we thank you for coming into this world over 2,000 years ago. Church, that's, that's the story of Christmas. The Christmas story is a story filled with courage. The, the courage to live in a harsh world. Yeah, we live in it, but we're not of it. We serve a God that's greater than it because he's got an adventure waiting for us if we just tap into it. And it's going to take courage to accept the adventure of his will for your life. The Christmas story is about accepting and, and taking the courage to accept his word. And sometimes, yes, it is tough. But can I tell you that every single time you have the courage to stand on the word of God, guess what happens? It will never fail. Yes. Not once. Never. And I never want you to forget, no matter what your story is, but the story of Christmas is understanding and having the courage to accept and believe that God came to invade this broken world to be with you, to be with me, to be with every single one of us. And so I bless you this Christmas with that kind of courage. Amen? Lord bless you, Lord keep you, Lord cause his face to shine upon you. I bless you with the amazing amount of courage that you need this Christmas. On the way out of the door, in the very back here, and on the front over or on the side over here, if you're interested and want to take a next step with us and just kind of figure out what the, what's going on around here, I want to be a part of a little something more. These guys have all that information. We'd love the opportunity, if nothing else, just to say hey to you. Come and visit us. But on your way out the door, don't forget to grab the Christmas Eve invite cards. Y'all don't forget, 80% of people will say yes if you just ask. So we've done everything we can to make it as easy as possible. We're going to do our part, but grab as many cards as you want on the way out. Have a merry, merry Christmas. Love you guys so much. Have a blessed Sunday. 
You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.